0: Go with D. I feel like Halo on the Miami Heat. The words I speak off this sheet are like a 3 P. don't just hop on a track. I bring running cleats. I'm a player for real, more than an athlete. Let like my mama tell it. Could have ran for the Senate. Instead, I penned it for Donovan Bennett. I'm cemented. This a deep dive. In your headphones of a long drive. Up close and personal, just like you side. They ain't no out of bounds here. No offsides. We going live in one, two, three, four, five. You are now tuned in to Going Deep with Donovan Bennett. That's right, it is the Going Deep Podcast. I am Donovan Bennett, and at times, let's be honest, I just use this platform to get paid to go deep with my friends. And one of them is Carlang Romero, who joins us, who just got back from the West Coast, as she was one of many Canadian football lovers, in her case, Canadian football alums, who were there to celebrate the GOAT, Christine Sinclair. And Carl, first things first, how was it? In in terms of... Being there, seeing the love from community and really the country for Christine, but also from afar, it just seemed like almost like a family reunion. It seemed like a time. And there have been, for being honest, some not so positive Canada soccer stories of late to to see the vibes uh, amongst all of the women who have sacrificed for the program. It was pretty cool. What was it like for you?
1: It was incredible. And I think you hit the nail right on the head. It, it was an absolutely a reunion. And I think the CSA did a very good job of honoring Christine in exactly the way she would want to be honored right down to the playlist in the stadium before the game being, you know, <laughs> not your typical pregame songs. A lot of stuff like Michael Jackson, man in the mirror, things that Christine would be playing on the bus to, um, you know, most of the team (laughs) chagrined over the years, but I think everybody was more than willing to sing along to that. And well, Celine Dion and, you know, it was just really so many really cool little touches and just the ability to get so many alum back in town. I mean, that's not an easy trip, especially during the week, but I think all of us were more than happy to do it. You know, Christine Sinclair is only going to retire once and as hard as it was for all of us and her obviously um it was also just a really really beautiful night um i i spoke to christine after the game and my first question was because this is what i was thinking um as i was watching the game was like how is she even playing right now just because we were so emotional watching like from the moment she stepped out onto the field all of us her teammates were just in tears. You could see she was crying and and watching her try to sing the anthem, you know through gritted teeth, just holding back tears and true Christine Sinclair. Fashion just powering through, even though you could tell she totally wanted to break down. So it was obviously like a very, very emotional night. But when I talked to her, she said it had actually been an an incredibly emotional week leading up to it. Like every day, she said all the interviews that she was doing, everything was emotional. She felt like she'd just been crying all day long for an entire week and so when it came time for the game she said when that first whistle blew she was like oh no i gotta play a soccer game right now like she was she hadn't even thought about soccer at that point or the the actual game um so i was impressed that she was able to pull it all together and and put out a performance because certainly emotional fatigue can manifest into physical fatigue and it, it didn't seem like that but she said she was definitely feeling it um but that's to be expected i mean what an emotional night it was going to be, you know, I feel like, I felt like the whole c- country was crying with her. So, um and I, I think that it was just a really beautiful send-off. Yeah. I was relieved because as you said, the CSA can get a lot of things wrong, but they definitely got this one right.
0: Yeah. As you know, point of contention for my wife is that I do not cry. I don't have tear ducts, uh, <laughs> but even I was getting a little misty, especially when she was, singing the anthem and kind of belting it. And mm-hmm. you know, when you have kids, you're a sucker for kids. And so to see her go out with her nieces uh, was really, really cool. And the other piece that was cool, you mentioned the playlist, was the Celine Dion post game of all of you in a circle, kind of arms-linked, singing. I, I, there's such a huge gap in age in terms of players on the actual team, never mind alumni that span the course mm-hmm. of her career and the way life happens, people move to different locations, work in different fields. So there might not always be that level of connection. What was it like for you to be able to interact with players, both current and former in that space? Well, it's
1: like you said, people do move and, and, we've all got different lives and a lot of us have kids in our own families, but it is really remarkable how after spending so much time together in that environment, you can go years without seeing each other. And the moment you see each other, it's like, no time has passed, which is crazy because we've like, I've had three children (laughs) since I've seen some of, the former players, but it, it really is like no time has passed. And, you know, you, you see those women more than you see your own family for a large chunk of your life. And so um, it was just so cool. Like, even the players that you didn't play with, you know, some of those younger players on the team now came after I had retired but you still feel connected to them because you've shared in something and you have this shared experience, even if it wasn't at the same time, that you just understand each other. And so, you know we, we run into each other, and even if we're meeting for the first time, we have so much to talk about, and we can just have these long conversations because we relate on so many different levels. Um, and I, we've we've been fortunate enough to do something that so few people in the world get to do. And so um, I think we all just have this Insane mutual respect for one another, and, and it was just really cool to see that. And when you mentioned the Celine Dion circle at the end, and that was just another little tribute to to Stinky because anytime we were able to find any success, any major game that we won, it was just that was always blaring on the bus ride home, and somebody had a karaoke mic, um, like somehow it just miraculously would show up and and uh. Melissa Tancredi and Karina LeBlanc would be definitely leading the charge. I know a lot of us, especially the young players, were looking at each other like, uh, we don't even know all the words to this song, but it was definitely, you know, if anybody does, it's Sinclair and Tancredi, and so we kind of just let them take it away.
0: <laughs> no matter the era, no matter the team, there's always a goalie that's in that conversation of leading uh, the singing and uh, leading the charge in that way. It's so funny because you mentioned the amount of interviews that she had to do uh, leading up throughout Mm -hmm. the week and the amount of spotlight that was on her and the amount that she like was more vulnerable than she normally is because she has been historically a private person this week is pretty antithetical to what she'd want. This is somewhat the opposite. All the spotlight is on her. She has to talk to the media, which she doesn't love to do. They named the stadium after her when mm-hmm. she doesn't want spotlight. Everyone's wearing her number, <laughs> and so I thought it was on brand that she wore Sophie Schmidt's uh, number. It, 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 yeah, it, it was lost a bit that, you know, and, and Christine brought it back to this, that it's not just about me, that we're honoring Aaron McLeod and Sophie Schmidt as well. What are your distinct memories of the players that they became but really the the people that you got to know in them
1: yeah well I'll start with Sophie Schmidt I mean she was pretty young when she came in a few years younger than me and I just remember that even though she was so green um you know she she hadn't played at a high level for very long but she just had this natural skill level that um, you could tell already at whatever, I think she was like 14 or 15, like that she w- was going to be world class. Just her her first touch and um, her ability to turn players so quickly and, and just the way the ball seems to be attached to her foot. Um, it really elevated the level of, of play, especially at that time when we were very much a long ball team. Um, you know, she, you could tell that she was sort of going to change the trajectory of at least the midfield and and the the way that they played, especially when she was alongside Diana Matheson, and and they could play. Um, you know, the, their very skillful style of of football together. Um, so I think that was that's something I'll always remember. She, it's also interesting, and and she made a point of it um, when she acknowledged everybody at the, at the after party that she joined this team as some like as a mute, somebody who never spoke, and then there she was by the end of the the uh, night giving a speech. And I, I think I definitely saw that progression in her as well on the pitch. I mean, I remember moments when we were teammates on the Whitecaps when I was just trying to get her to understand the importance of communication on the field, and I was just like, you need to talk to the players around you because it is so valuable and it's so important to know – you know like especially in the center mid you need to be the eyes of the team and and just just really trying to get that across to her because at at one point in her career she literally refused to speak even on the field and then to see her in a leadership position you know wearing the captain's armband whenever Sinky wasn't um, vocal on the field I think it was just a really you know like she blossomed it was really beautiful to see um as a player and a person so I think you know I I loved witnessing that um and then Erin McLeod I mean I could go on forever I don't think your podcast is long enough I just I, I'm sure you've heard it before but she is just one of the greatest humans I've ever met I anytime she opens her mouth I can't help but crying and she's she sang the na- national anthem she's got a thing some people don't know is she's got this really beautiful singing voice. She's very talented artistically in many ways, but specifically when it comes to singing. And she's sang the anthem a few times, especially with the white caps And the moment she would open her mouth, I'd be bawling. It's just something. She's just this, like, otherworldly being. Um, I'm, like, tearing up talking about it right now. So, like, seeing her honored was really really wonderful um just so deserving everything she's given to this program she's always been somebody who was willing to put her body on the line for her teammates like since day one and and the coaches acknowledged it and they would always talk about it how Erin McLeod is willing to risk her life out there on the field for for the team and I think that that carried off the pitch as well you know she was just willing to do anything for her teammates and, and which became family. And I'll never forget that. And I'll, every time I see her, it's just like such a joy to see her. And um, I think she's going to do really amazing things in, in the football world. As once she like stepping off the pitch, I I think her legacy is just going to carry on in so many other ways. And even maybe more so, because like I said, she's talented, in so many other avenues so um it's like really every it's just all at her fingertips she could do anything um and then Sinky, i mean what i i it's hard at this point because what more can be said i think everybody has said it it's it, you know she is the best to ever do it and the, the best there ever will be and what she's given to this program like i i just I, I can't believe that she's done what she's done for such a long time. You know, to be on top for that long. And I've mentioned before, like, I don't have any memory of Christine Sinclair as an up-and-comer. From the moment I stepped onto the pitch with the national team as a teenager, she was also a teenager, she was the star of the team. And that was at, like, 17 years old. And so to continue carrying that team on your back for 20-plus years, I mean, that's insane. And so I think that's also partly probably why she she knew she knew it was time. I think she feels very complete and very at peace with um, how much time she's put in. You know, I, she told Arash Madani she feels really good about the shift she put in. Um, and that's certainly an understatement. It was definitely more than a shift, like three hundred and thirty games, three hundred and thirty caps is <laughs> certainly more than a shift. It's just when you put it into perspective like that you know, most players that are fortunate enough to represent their country celebrate on a massive level when they reach 100 caps. Like that is a huge accomplishment. And you go down in the history books, if you've reached a hundred caps and she's tripled that. So, you know, I, I just think, and then not to mention, obviously the goals that she's scored, like we all, <laughs> we've, we've all acknowledged, like she has more goals than anybody else on the planet. Um, but I think beyond that being her teammate, you know, it's, it's just more about the person that she is and just how steady she was for so many years and how reliable she was. And not just in terms of goal scoring again, but just as a person, like she was just always Christine, so stoic, um, so professional, like consummate professional. She just really set the bar and set the example. And I think all of those young players that um, because she played for so long, so many young players had the opportunity to be on the team with her in their first experiences on the national team. And I mean, what a gift, you know, you, you got to play alongside the standard. Um, and I think that it's going to serve the national team for years to come, because now you've got players like Jesse Fleming, um, Vanessa Gilles, uh Quinn, you know, leading this team and they, they were mentored by Christine Sinclair. It doesn't get better than that.
0: It doesn't. But you know me, I can't have nice things. I did watch and (laughs) I was watching and as much as I was happy for her to get that recognition and and be honored by the country, it was bittersweet for me two ways. One is I wish we were at this point when she was in her prime, when she really could have taken advantage and realized where the game has got to in this country in multiple levels. And the second piece is, and I'm, could be projecting but personally, selfishly, I watched and I was mad that it, it, when she came up, you mentioned we had generational players. We had two of them that internationally were really good when they were young. One was number 12. The other was 15. It was Christine and it was you. And the fact that you were, because of injury, robbed of having the longevity of a career and the benefit of where the game has become now. In the women's game, in in the game in in Canada specifically, I watched and I felt sad that we didn't have this night at BMO with friends and family driving from Oakville to celebrate you in the same way. But that's me.
1: Well, thank you. And you're also my dear friend. So I think you might have... You might feel that on a bit of a different level than most people, but nonetheless I appreciate it. Um, you know, I I think yeah, I like obviously I wish my career had been longer, but um we all have different paths and I'm just grateful that I got the opportunity to wear the jersey. I mean, changed my life forever and um I'm at peace with it now.
0: Good. And my hope is that when we look at a lot of the alumni, you see so many of them are still finding an influence in the game, something that, again, is changing now, hopefully changes even more with the Project 8, thanks to another one of your former teammates and Diana Matheson. But although your life is much different, you do get to stay around the game a little bit, and you're doing some coverage of the MLS playoffs mm-hmm. out in L.A. And before I let you go, I... One, I want you to touch on that and what that's been like and what you've seen in terms of uh, the level of play of the teams who are still standing because God knows that Canadian MLS fans would love for their teams to be playing this late in the year. Um, but what has that been like? And what has it been like covering, for being honest, in, in L.A., both on the men's and women's side, franchises that really out of nothing have have risen to be – first class across MLS and, and NWSO.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, it's been a joy. I have loved every minute of covering LAFC this season. It's just a, a class organization. The players are fantastic. Um, every chance I get to speak to the players, it's just like these these guys really love this team and this organization and you can see it. And I think it's in large part because of the support that they have and the way like LASC has just done it right. The way that they've, um, you know, interwoven their supporters group within to the like fabric of the organization. Like they are truly a part of the team. Um, and you can see that when you talk to the players and how they never miss a chance to mention the 32 52 and, and the role that they play in the team and the role that they play in creating the atmosphere in the stadium. And I think that's a huge part of why I've loved um, covering this team, because just the environment at the stadium is so much fun. Uh, You know, it's, it's one of the biggest home field advantages in MLS for a reason like the Western conference final was delayed by a few minutes because the smoke from the flares made it absolutely impossible to play. And um, you know, it might sound like that is like a bad thing, but no, it was amazing. It set the tone for the game. And after a few minutes, the smoke dissipated, but it, it was just like, as soon as that happened, we're just all chuckling in the press box. Cause it's like, you know, like, Oh, it's on like, this is so awesome. And it's just really fun to see. I mean, I'm, I definitely am disappointed to hear about the MLS um, taking action and, and fining LAFC for the, uh, their supporters group use of flares and, and sanction, putting sanctions on the supporters group. We still don't know what that's going to look like at the final, but um, hopefully they're not stopping anybody at the door and turning them back. I think it's just going to be something like, you know, maybe they're not allowed to use their drums or things like that. But nonetheless, they'll have a massive presence um, in Columbus. But, yeah, it's just been – it's just – the passion for the game is just incredible. And what LAFC has been able to do in such a short span, like six years, and they're the darlings of the of the league. And that's undeniable. And It might – you know, some people don't love to admit it, but it's true. Like, they are the standard at this point, and not just because of the product on the field, which is also fantastic, but just the way that they have turned this club into – um, one of the hottest tickets in town. And this is L.A. we're talking about. You know, like this is not only are they not the only MLS team in the city, but they're also competing against the Lakers and the Clippers and the Dodgers. But if you talk to anybody um, who has been to an LAFC game recently, they will tell you it is the most entertaining sports team in, in L.A. at the moment. And that just says so much considering it's it's Los Angeles. Beautiful
0: stadium in a great location. Uh, thanks to uh, some good friends, one of which who might be on this call, I- I've been able to go to a game. But yeah, they're doing things right. I want to <laughs> talk about one of the players that Canadians really care about, and that is Maxime Cropo and-, and Max Crepeau, who you yeah. know in in the playoffs, uh, you know had heartbreak, you know last year and in- in becoming injured, and and now um, you know he's a big reason uh, why once again you know they're vying. For titles to me, he's someone who has done enough domestically to show that he should be leading Canada from goal internationally. What have you seen from his game?
1: Yeah. uh, I mean, every chance I get to talk to Maxine Cripal, it's, it's wonderful. I'm, Such a big fan of his, and not just because he's also Canadian, but obviously that that plays a part, but his story is just incredible. I mean, having broken his leg in the NLS Cup Finals last year, and then he rehabs for a year, earns back the starting goalkeeper position, and and doesn't just earn it back, but he has been a massive player for LAFC this season, particularly in the playoffs, just like standing on his head against Seattle, to help them win that game. I mean, he did so well against Vancouver as well, and he's just so solid back there. You talk to his teammates, and they just feel so confident with Maxine between the sticks, and it's just just awesome to see because it couldn't happen to a better guy. I mean, this guy has worked so hard to get to where he is, and it was just such a heartbreaking story last year, but here we are exactly a year later, and it's almost like it's about to be a fairytale ending. Like, if they can manage to pull off this win. He's got a second chance at a cup and he can finish the game on the field healthy. You know, it's just like it, it couldn't, you couldn't write it any better. And and when I asked him about it, um, it just speaks to the person that he is, you know, like what it meant to him coming back from his injury and, and to, to get that chance again. And he did not want to talk about it. All he wanted to talk about was the team. He like didn't even want to acknowledge what it meant to him individually, even though, you know, from the outside, obviously, like this is a huge moment for him personally, but also, you know, he's just such a team guy and he's such a good leader. And And I certainly would um, love to see him leading the Canadian national team because I, I just don't think that there's a better guy out there.
0: Agreed. Canada has to play Trinidad in Tobago to get into Copa America. Hopefully we see some changes in the setup so that they play better. I think we need some changes in North American soccer in general. The fact that you mentioned that the league is going to find, potentially, uh, an organization because the fans are too excited. Imagine that happening in Chile or Colombia or Argentina. We sometimes add a North American lens to the world's game. Uh, what's great is that when you cover it, you don't which is why I love talking to you and really just picking your brain uh, and having you in my phone so I can ask you questions about the women's national team, even (laughs) though you probably don't want to answer all of them. As uh, Canadians are tracking uh, potential flights from a potential Blue Jays pitcher in Shohei Otani, uh, this holiday season, I'm going to be tracking flights on a former Blue Jays player and Ricky Romero uh, and Carlang Romero as you all come back to Canada. Thank you for spending some time, Carl. Thank you, DJ. We can't wait to see you over Christmas. Thanks again to Cara, who really appreciate her time, her perspective, and appreciate her as a person. Everything she said about Erin McLeod is true for her and her family. So good to touch base with her once again. I always want to touch base with Sid. Now, I wish I could say all of those nice, lovely things about Sid. Sometimes, let's be honest. He can be a bit of a jerk, but he definitely knows what he's talking about when it comes to sports. So let's holler out my favorite jerk, Sid Sixero, after the break.
1: My name is Lucille
0: Bryan. I'm Clifton Bryan. My grandson has a show. And I'm so happy that you are listening to Go and with Donovan Bennett.
1: I'm so glad that he had a show. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Grandma and Granddad. This is the Going Deep podcast. And my grandfather specifically often asks me many things. Often he asks me what channel a various sports team is playing on. But he often asks me, how is Seed, how is seed doing? Because his TV generally just stays on whatever channel it was on when they last watched either a sporting event or... Deal or no deal. So sometimes he misses Sid. Uh, well, he will, is going to get some Sid. Why don't we ask, Sid, how are you? My grandfather wants to know.
2: Um, your grandfather is amazing. Uh, he's one of uh, my favorite Bennett family members. Clifton. Like at least eight places ahead of you. It's not even close.
0: Can we do the power rankings? Like if the committee the is rankings. getting together and we're, tr- we're trying to seed the playoff, uh, Who you got?
2: at least I, I can't go through i don't, I don't want to offend <laughs> i don't want to offend but like grandparents and the real ton are right there okay like right right at the top and you know moms obviously like i you know what ranking how do i rank my favorite children i don't know like it's a very difficult question about all i know is you are well behind all of them as much as i love you deeply your family and uh, and I was lucky enough to you have seen them in many situations, including your amazing wedding with, with Kate. Um, they're amazing. They're so great. Big fans.
0: Yeah, Your amazing wedding with Kate—that she was there too, your wife. Uh, but more so, your yeah, my family. True, true. Yeah. Um, well, thank you uh, for that. Uh, they would agree with you that I'm a distant eighth. So uh, <laughs> you have uh, that in common. Uh, so uh, you mentioned. You're at my wedding. We have a long-standing history, a relationship, uh, I would say. But I vividly remember the first Sid rant that I witnessed in person, live, IRL, was on the very early episodes of the Tim and Sid Uncut podcast, where you were going off, I don't know if you remember this, about the state of Canada soccer and how... They have done really a disservice to two people specifically, Christine Sinclair and the guest we had on this podcast before you, Carl Lang, who has since become a great friend. Now, I did not at the time know much about Canadian international soccer specifically enough to speak to it strongly the way you did at the time on the women's side, the conversation was they either let go of a coach, can't remember who it was, but you had essentially had enough. And you said you have wasted their prime. And these are two of the best players in the world playing for us. And it's been a disaster. Now, sadly, many things haven't changed with that federation since. But I, I do think the landscaping opportunity that Christine Sinclair has had since certainly. Has changed. I, I tweeted it, you know, on her day of her last match. That I wish the flowers that we were giving her now happened in her prime, because I think her, her her prime was vastly missed uh, by mainstream. When you saw the retro pieces, the think pieces, the honor guard that she got from the first bronze medal team, and the scenes around both Victoria and Vancouver. What came to mind for you? Because you were, as I pointed out, beginning of the soliloquy, someone who has been thinking about her place in soccer in this country for a very long time.
2: I I think the the one thing that struck me the most, Donovan, about what happened this week in Vancouver, specifically in the lead-up to it, was how how 100% certain in my soul, the idea was of Canada soccer has nothing to do with this. What's happening here is her teammates and her her people and her family on that field and off coalescing. Canada soccer under pressure finally booked home games for our women's program. Do you remember this many home games for our women's program in a row over two international windows? Because I don't. I don't. And you had people left and right on the roster saying it feels weird and it's awesome that we're home this much.
0: That was a point of contention in recent negotiations The, the lack of preparation before major tournaments.
2: Of course it was. Like, what if they had this before that World Cup? Think about it. Get some get some juices going, get the crowd out. And and I know the Sinclair story has kind of moved a lot of this along over these last four games, but this is what preparation looks like. This is what an organized soccer association looks like. And it made it almost made me sad a little bit that it took her retirement to get organized. That's the one thing I couldn't shake over the last like a couple months, is it took this long to go, you know what? Maybe we should do this properly because she's leaving and she needs the respect of a proper goodbye. But we don't really have that attitude towards everyday soccer management in Canada as mm-hmm. evidence. So what I, what I took away from that is I, I think that goodbye happened in spite of Canada soccer instead of Canada Soccer. And I was happy to see it. Because that came together through a lot of different sources. It was was on national television in this country, as it should have been. I was wondering for a while. It was on national TV. And, you know, I think, I'm glad she got that moment because, like of the 190 career goals for Christine Sinclair, how many of those were televised?
0: The ones that happened
2: in the Olympics, but basically like how, like how many of those were accessible to Canadians and international journalists, like the the stat that made me throw up this week. And I mentioned it on breakfast television weekdays, 6am to 10am on city TV. um, In the history of women's soccer player of the year, world player of the year has been given out. uh, It started in 2001. Do you know how many times Christine Sinclair finished in the top three in voting in any of those years, 2001 to now? Do you know how many times? Two? Zero. Zero. Not once. And that goes to profile. And that goes to exposure. And that, go- that also does go to World Cup accomplishments. And Canada's kind of, for whatever reason in that tournament, it can't really get out of second gear, and I've never understood why. Sure, but I mean,
0: let's rewatch the 2012 Olympics and find me a better yep. female soccer player.
2: Yep, do that. I've never seen a soccer player in this country look better in a loss. And but that wasn't even enough. Has not did not finish top three, Donovan. That's our fault. That is our problem as a, as a federation and, and the places we put our female athletes. That's our fault. Now, maybe if Chris goes to Europe for an extended period of time, who knows, right? Like, who knows? French, French leagues in France and in Germany and Norway and Sweden for a long stretch of time, they've been really strong, very strong. And maybe if she's there, maybe possibly that changes but under no circumstances should the the top goal scorer in, in women's and men's soccer history go that unnoticed throughout the course of her career. That is our problem. That is, that is Canada soccer's issue. This was a hell of a moment this week for Christine, but I also felt sad. I felt sad that there, wor- there weren't more of these for her. There should have been a moment at a FIFA awards gala there should have been a moment where she gets to to hold up that golden ball or however they're describing it not even close not even close and donovan you know better than anyone sports at the highest levels when you get when you get to soccer specifically it's also about marketing it's also about what you can do from a federation standpoint and we're pathetic we're pathetic as a soccer nation from an administration standpoint. We can never give her that platform. I don't know why, but like how many, can't, you know, how many, how many times did you roll through like the big markets of Europe to show off, Chris? I mean, there's the Algarve Cup, and you go to Portugal, and blah blah blah. and There's tournaments here, there, and then they come home. I, it, that, that's the kind of stuff I was thinking about this week. Like her career still despite those statistics, I don't think she's as respected outside of this country as, 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 as we respect her. And that and you know, I will, I will never not point a finger at Canada soccer and blame them for any of that. It is outrageous. She, like Marta of Brazil is destroyed when you look at the resumes by Chris. Destroyed. Well, Marta's been up for player of the year. I'll leave the American players out of this because they've been dominant for a long time, but I've seen Nor- Norwegian players nominated, French players, I've seen all kinds of players. Not Chris. Not once since 2001, since they made the damn award. was Christine Sinclair top three in voting for female player of the year. That's, that's our problem. That's our problem. So I'm glad she got to have the moment she wanted this week the way she wanted to have it. And um, I'm really glad I didn't see any CSA people try and take any credit for that. They clearly were not welcome on that field and with good reason. So I'm glad she had her moment. But I I do go over this a lot when it comes to her and the reflection it is about what we are as a soccer nation. We were in a World Cup a year ago today. Like, what now? You know what I mean? Things in this, things in this country, soccer-wise, can evaporate like a fart in the wind very quickly. And her career, as great as it was, was just like, even in female soccer circles, across the pond, was never respected. CSA didn't respect her. We, her. we have her doing Zoom for um, a government house committee in Ottawa while they're preparing for a World Cup. Like that it was outrageous what 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 uh the mismanagement of that team was and chris's profile so you know this this is this is the cynic in me who will never give Canada soccer a free pass for anything um but uh, I'm glad she got to do it her way this week. I was happy about that
0: it, well you talked about you know it being bittersweet and having some sad elements to it. I did as well, but for me, I make a direct correlation to the Americans because when you look at them in comparison and their generational talents, and let's just talk attacking players, you know, they go Mia Hamm, Abby Wambach, uh, Megan Rapino, um, you know, Christina Press, Rose Lavelle, and now moving forward, whether it's Sophia Smith, Trinity Rodman. Uh, Alex Morgan, how can I forget, obviously, is in that conversation. There's always a passing of the torch. And then I look at our program and I was watching thinking, when is the next time we'll be able to do this? Will we be able to do this for a Khadisha Buchanan? Will we be able to do this for an Olivia Smith who's just starting? How many players will we be able to? get around, they become household names in our country and celebrate because they've had an established career. I I, I don't know if I can say with certainty that if we looked at, you know, they're 23, we could say, oh, there's, there's three, four, five potential candidates. And I think to me what that shows is that Christine Sinclair, to your point... Succeeded despite her federation, not because of it. And now that that generational player or person is gone, who leads us? Where do we go from here? That that was the not to be a Debbie Downer, but that was the overarching conversation I was having while watching the match. Because let's be honest, it, it wasn't much of a match. It was it had the spectacle of a final, but it didn't necessarily have the performance of a final. Had the performance of a friendly. Um, that's what I was thinking to myself.
2: Yeah, um, no, it's valid. I mean, but but the other part of this, I'm, I am though. I'm going to go on the other side of the coin on this. I am excited to see what happens next. Because well, this is Jesse Fleming's team now, is it not? It is, but I think, but you need. I think you need it to be someone else's team, uh, especially up front, and. You know, especially with, with the formation that Bev Priestman is using now, three center backs and two wing backs, there's a lot of freedom up front for two strikers. And Christine's shadow loomed very, very large. And I think one of the things that have held the program back is the reliance on her went on way too long. Way too long. And if you were a younger player, There wasn't any more oxygen in the room, especially if you're an attacking player. What I'm now interested to see is who takes that opportunity. Like Rochelle Prince just over the stretch of games here looks fantastic. You know, I'm I'm excited about what that could look like because in their worst moments, Canada's Achilles heel has really not been defensively from what I've seen. True. Khadisha's been a rock. She's a European, she's a champions league winner. Like she like, she's a legit superstar in the sport. Like we can we can keep the ball out of the net. Our worst moments were the lob to Christine and hope. Worst. And that has to change. And it will, obviously. And I I, I think there is I've always believed there were, there were younger attacking female soccer players in this country that just were not getting a chance at this level and deserved it for obvious reasons. Cause you have an all-time player there and you know, should that time have come sooner? We can have that conversation. Um, but I, I kind of like this opportunity. Beth Priestman has to have a really open mind. But one thing about our female program that does bother me at times is here's my team. And regardless of result, this is my team going forward. Americans don't work like that. And we're a little too polite up here. We need to have a results-based program. not I've I've known her for years. She's great program. And there are moments where I felt like that's kind of happened. At every position. We need to get more cutthroat internally with the competition. If there's a young player... In Europe, that we're not familiar with, who gets a chance and comes in and takes it, then it's theirs. I don't care what the reputation is. I don't care how many caps they have. I don't care how long Deb Prieston's known them. Enough. Enough. We we need to have a results-based attitude towards both of our soccer programs. And the leaning on legacy at times. Christine's different because she's the greatest. But like you see it in every other position on both sides of the ball, men and women. We just do this thing here where did you perform well? No. Okay. You're back in the next game. And don't, and I do not believe in my core. It's a depth issue. I do not. We have more women playing soccer in this country than at any point in our history. And especially in Europe. Do not tell me that's the case. So what I hope happens here is a real change in how our on-the-field coaches deal with the starting 11s. The starting 11s are no longer about reputation. We have standards in this country that are higher than that now. Winning gold medals, qualifying for World Cups, it's got to be different. And leaning on legacy because they were great that that one time or they have 90 caps and you want to get them to 100, I don't have any time for that. We have to change that mentality here. Because they don't do that in any other country for men or women. Other countries win World Cups or get the semifinals consistently because they don't care what you think if you can't help them. And that's a mean thing to say. But this is sports at a high level. And we don't have that attitude here. We have to change that. All over the park, we have to change that. And I hope Bev Priestman takes this opportunity to see a young tiger of a player who wants to keep, to keep that spot in the starting 11 and run with it. And you say to that person, you got it until you play your way up. That's how it works in other countries. We got to do that here. And and I'm excited that we might have that opportunity. Some younger players can go in there and and start to carve out their own path. I like that thought a lot.
0: I want to get your perspective on another football story in terms of taking opportunity that I think has been underappreciated, undercovered, and that is the recent Copa America 2024 draw results. Now, obviously Canada didn't punch their ticket directly through to Copa. They'll have to essentially fight for a last-place spot with Trinidad and Tobago. But the way the draw worked out, they're in group A, which would find them playing Peru, Chile, a, a real soccer nation, and the defending World Cup champions, Argentina. And this, for those who don't know, group stage of this tournament goes at the end of June in 2024. One, I think it's a massive miss that they're not already in. Listen, I talked about our, my grandparents. I am Jamaican. I, I, I love the country. But the fact that Jamaica is in, Panama is in, Costa Rica is in, and we, who not long ago called ourselves the kings of CONCACAF for f- finishing at the top of the table and qualifying and now have to essentially beg for our supper against Trinidad and Tobago to get into this thing is somewhat shameful. However, here we are. But whether it's real live matches against good competition in preparation for the World Cup, whether it's the profile uh, of the sport in this country, how big of an opportunity is Copa for Canada and this specific draw?
2: It's, uh, I mean, it sets up all of 2024. Because if they qualify, if they beat Trinidad and Tobago and qualify for the Copa America you have to schedule games around that. And guys are going to be serious about that prep. So you're going to get our A team for, for that entire lead-up, all the international breaks. I think it's, it's, it's huge. If they don't qualify for the Copa America, 2024 is flushed down the toilet. No pressure in that game. No pressure, eh? The whole thing's flush. You are wasting an entire year of prep for hosting a World Cup. You're not serious about hosting a World Cup. And, and I'm, um, listen, after that, you, after that, you make a debacle at Demo Field. I'm preparing for it. I'm preparing for it.
0: Well, TNT has taken points off of real teams recently.
2: Yes. Yes, they have. And, you know, I, um, I don't, you know, Herdman was a lot of things. He could occasionally hold a lead, especially in that stadium. Like, we're just, we got guys all over the park who, like, I'm seeing dudes on the sideline going, sir, they're involved with Canada soccer. Really? When did that happen? Okay, let's see how this goes. Boom. Disaster. Disaster against Jamaica. If Canada does not qualified for this Copa America, we're in trouble. The the dark ages have returned if we don't get it. You cannot waste a year. Like, you can't qualify for a World Cup and then just not play a competitive game for an entire calendar year, which could happen. The A team might go, you know what? I'm good. Alfonso Davies is going to come over from Bayern in March of next year if there's no Copa America. Really? Jonathan David's going to do that. Jonathan David might be on the verge of a Premier League transfer at that point. If it doesn't happen in January, he's coming over for, for no Copa America. This team's going to disintegrate, disintegrate. And we're back at square one. Like, why can't I feel good about anything anymore? Is it a me problem? Donovan? Like what is like, what's wrong with me? I feel like we upset here with you for like 20 minutes or whatever it is. We talk. I'm being serious. Like I'm talking about Christine Sinclair. All I can do is be mad at the CSA for not giving her this respect way earlier and for never scheduling a home game for our, our female soccer team. We're talking about what could be Canada and Argentina in a Copa America, and I'm just freaking out because if they don't win this game against Trinidad and Tobago, there's, there's no competitive games next year.
0: Is it a me problem? Well, I think it's a me problem because I set you up to talk about things that are going to piss you off.
2: But, like, Yes, it's well well done. Mission accomplished. Um, but like I
0: so talk know, about I, talk about inflation rates,
2: please. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Go let's off. get to the positives. Yeah, price of food. Yeah, let's get to that. Um, but like, but I, listen, if they get in, great. Honestly, I think the, I think the, the margins are that fine. If they beat Trinidad and Tobago in Is it Arlington? I think it's Arlington. If they win that game in Arlington. And everything I just said, I, I peel back because you have now a goal. There is an end game to your prep in the in the year 2024 that matters. Like you will see, real hopefully you can book real teams for friendlies, which we've had issues doing. Actually, we did a pretty good job with our with our with Christine's goodbye. Like we did well, Brazil and Argentina and Brazil and Australia, pretty solid female teams. Hopefully, we can do it on the men's side, too, if they get in. But we'll see, man. I don't have – faith is faith is, uh, is running low for me right now with Canada soccer. Very low. And I'm stunned I'm here 12 months after what happened in that World Cup, qualifying for that World Cup. But the other thing is, like, do we have to have a Copa run at the exact same time as Euro 2024? Do we have to spread this out, like, a little bit? the Copas used to be like mid-July to early August. It used to be great. The Euros would end. And then TeleLatino would have like stop Copa coverage. It was great. It was seamless. Anyway, side complaint. Um, I'm hoping they get in. I'm not expecting them to get in, but I'm hoping Canada be treated a Tobago and get into what is a legitimate international tournament that they need if they're going to progress. So Yeah, it's kind of important.
0: Yeah, it's a good point in terms of the timing of Copa. I think what it does, it highlights how crammed the football calendar has become with off-season tours happening earlier and earlier as teams try to be international brands and go to the Far East or North America and recoup all that money. If if you're a modern-day footballer who's certainly playing international football, you don't have an off-season. You, you essentially have a month, a month and a half, if that. So w- with the season ending in the late spring and season starting in early summer, yeah, the, the, we're now getting massive tournaments on top of each other because there's no other time to schedule. Okay, let me flip the switch and get you to talk about something that has been a positive news story, even though it started with heavy skepticism, and that is the NBA in-season tournament, which if we have this conversation... Maybe this time next year in a couple of years. I think it's gonna be the Amazon in season tournament or the Netflix in season tournament. I, I think a streamer is gonna buy this and own it. And kudos to Adam Silver, who many people were skeptical. What? This is not Champs League. Why do I care? It's regular season games. Why does the court look that way? You're just looking to sell another jersey or these players who are already paid going to care about the extra 500,000 I don't understand how the seating works you didn't finish the schedule everyone's going to go to Vegas and none of that talk is happening now because one the games have been good two because people actually did go to Vegas and it was a bit of a scene and everyone's had an innovative approach I loved some of the back and forth with ESPN and TNT personalities on each other shows talking back and forth Is it perfect? No. Do some people have to get their head around the fact that late in games, people are going to be running up the score? and Those unwritten rules might have to just be relaxed? Certainly. But considering they just literally made this up out of nothing, I I have to say the early returns are positive and better than I expected. I'm interested in your perspective for really – one big reason. I mean, I care about your perspective on everything. But you understand what the doldrums of name your league, but let's use it, NBA season is like when you had to prep and prepare for your show four years, time and time again, and you had to convince yourself to care to watch these games that, let's be honest, some of the players didn't care about. What has your biggest takeaway from the NBA and season tournament, the IST? Has been.
2: I I, I think uh, I have been surprised by it, and I just I'm I'm like I was really surprised because I watched uh, what was the what was the quarterfinal with the Pacers. It was Pacers Celtics the other night. I caught a bit of that. I was blown away by the pace. Pardon the pun, but like I saw guys actually playing. And I was uh, – it made me feel good because if the players are going to buy in. No one's going to buy in. It, it, the in, – in tournament courts, I hated it first. They're needed. Um, I think it's a quick reference to what you're watching. I think it's – I think in the end it worked. That was important. I think that was a really good idea. Um, and I mean, i I just – I I think the only thing I would change is I love the ESPN TNT back and forth last night. I absolutely love, and it just shows you how bad that ESPN panel is like, and there's some really good individual pieces to that panel. There's zero chemistry, zero. And Chuck is just, just circling them. Like with circling the wagons over and over again. Like I, I like Stephen a, I like Woj. I like. I'm a fan of that panel, but wow, that was interesting to watch last night. The only thing I would do, first off, I get rid of that run up the score thing in the tournament. That's idiotic. No North American sports fan gets that. Like nobody. They don't so get, get plus rid of that minus. Immediately. It's, yeah, it's well, math. why do you need it? Well, Why do you need it?
0: Well, how do you you're playing four games? How yeah. do you break the tie in terms of? who advances and who doesn't given you, you win your group. Sure. But assuming there are multiple teams with the same record or teams who are not in the same group with the same record and you're trying to find out who these wildcard teams are going to be right. in the plus, h- how do you do that? Do you, you want to go a committee who well, we, we get a bunch of let's committee yeah, members committee. in a room and, and Alabama decide Alabama
2: is going to win the NCAA <laughs> tournament. Um, no, no, but, like, make the it, make it are gonna three win. points for a win. Like, there's an easy fix to that. Three points for a win. Go every international soccer tournament going on right now. Anyway. Sure,
0: but, ev- but every international soccer tournament also has plus-minus. They also have they, – they, they actually make it worse. They have away goals. Uh,
2: their scoring, though, is different. It it just, just, uh, to it me, happens. it looks hokier if the NBA starts doing that kind of stuff. Okay. It really does. Personally, got you have to find another way. Like – like I don't know if you have the highest score in the game, then you get a bonus point or something. There has to be a way around that. That's stuff where they're like putting up shots at the end. Well, if if it's a high score it, in the it, game, it, it, are you
0: still going to be putting up shots to try and get the highest score in the game? Like there's still in theory, an incentive.
2: I'm, to- I'm just saying, like I think I think that part of this wasn't thought through. The plus minus in, the, in a league that's that high scoring is is weird to have that as an immediate tiebreaker. That's that's dumb to me. That doesn't make sense. Soccer that makes sense because goals are are what they are. I'm going to say I have an answer for it, but either make, make it oh, three points for a win and, 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 and go that route and kind of mess it up a little bit. Or you go, if you win by 10 or less, you get two points. If you win by 10 or more, you get, a, you get a, an extra point. You get the three. Like, I'll accept that. But, like, just running up the score and blowouts is weird. It's weird to me. Um, I'll say this. I think you need to let the teams in the semifinals in Vegas have their fans come down. Take the semifinal round and put it on the weekend between the AFC-NFC title games and the Super Bowl.
0: Ooh, okay. I got you. I gotcha. just,
2: just stretch it out a bit, let people travel. And I think, I think the vibe gets even better. Because overall, Donovan, this thing has worked. I'm stunned, but this thing has kind of worked. The one thing I've hated from the get-go, and I've heard this from broadcasters, I've heard this from players, I've heard this from coaches, is is the line, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> are you an idiot? You don't know what's going on? You never played a tournament as a youth coming up? At AAU? You've never, you've been in college? You've never, sorry, that you've never played an ACC tournament, guys? You don't know what group play is? You have to play FIFA. What are you talking about they don't know what's going on? That was the laziest thing I, I heard in the entire process. I don't know what's going on. You have four groups or six groups, whatever the hell it is. is. Six. And, and then they advance. And then you have quarters. And then you have semis. And then you have a final. Idiot. <laughs> what do you mean you don't know what's going on? It's not, it's not calculus. Calculus. I, I, if I were the commissioner, I would have lost it to that stuff. Because a lot of, like, it became the cool thing to say, I don't know what's going on. And I'm at home going, like, I'm following the Bank of Canada interest rate. I'm like, but this isn't that difficult. Like, I'm trying to figure that. I'm literally trying to figure that out at home. Hearing someone go, you know, they they don't know how they get to eight teams out of six groups. Okay, God bless. God bless. So if I'm Adam Silver I, before next season, I want to send an email to everyone that says, here's how it works. And If I hear one person in front of a mic say, I'm not sure what's going on, you're getting fined $100,000. Maybe not that much because we have a CBA and things are allowed and not allowed. But you know what I'm saying. Let the record I, I show. I couldn't stand that take. I don't know what's going on. Moron. Lazy. Couldn't stand that.
0: Let the record show. This was my attempt to give Sid something to be happy about. And somehow, he is once again <laughs> upset.
2: <laughs> no, I'm, listen, I'm happy. I, am, I think this works. I give Adam Silver a ton of credit. I like this. I like this a lot. Because the players have, at the end of the day, like, I learned something about NBA players. With all the load management, like, you have a preconceived notion of what goes on in that league sometimes. When they're out there, though, they have one gear. I don't care what the game is. Well,
0: not if it's the All-Star game, for sure.
2: Not if it's the ultimate game, but, like, if, if if it's a regular season game, if personal bonuses are on the line, if there's a long game here, you're going to get a good competitive basketball game. And I like that. I like, I like it.
0: that. I like it a lot, too. Uh, I just need the Elam ending, uh, and I would love it even more. So a couple <laughs> things uh, as we wrap up uh, the year, and this year flew by. You spoke about one of them on bt but you know we have a bit of a different audience so i need you to speak on it again so this is a time of year where time and others go person of the year time went taylor swift sports illustrated si went deon sanders now i don't know if it actually was the si editors or if it was the ai bots that si has writing stories for them on their website which is another uh, ridiculous only in 2023 story but the collective outrage for this made-up award that is essentially only in existence to sell magazines, I find confusing. Do you have a strong feeling either way about Taylor Swift or Deion Sanders being named Person of the Year, respectively?
2: No, no, I didn't. Look, I, I, I think I think people who have outrage over that are so far outside the bubble of what she was doing that their opinions are irrelevant. But she was changing the economy literally like in going from city to city to city. And, uh, you know, listen, a person, a person of the year for time magazine has always been a brilliant marketing campaign for them because they sometimes do not pick good people it's not the good person of the, of the year award. It's the newsmaker. And I mean, look, could you have gotten the prosecutor who got Trump on multiple charges? Like could you have made him person of the year. Sure. There's a, there's a litany of, of stories that have broken where you could have gone down that road. Um, but she captivated all of it. Every headline at one point, if you had kids, if you had, a, if you had a Taylor Swift fan in your house, you were talking about this tour. She dwarfed Beyonce's tour, man. Do you know how difficult that is to do?
0: Don't let the beehive come for you, Sid.
2: I'm not. But I'm, I'm, I'm just saying. In any other world, what tour is bigger than Beyonce's tour? There isn't one. BTS, maybe? But still, but still, right? Like, I, I don't know. None, really. I don't think, like, it's close. BTS is right up there. I'm with you. I respect BTS. But Taylor became, she already was, but, like, this tour specifically was a cultural phenomenon to the point where USA Today, in a world where writers for newspapers are losing their jobs left and right, have hired a specific person to cover Taylor Swift. When Twitter does that for me every day, she's on tour. I don't need a writer for that. So I, I have no problems with her being person of the year. She, um, when you turn into something that is that is mystic, whether, you, whether it's a, a news story, an entertainment story, I don't care what it is, sports story, I don't care what it is. That's what they're kind of looking at that's how donald trump gets on the cover like there's something else going on here that's weird and that and taylor swift had that aura of 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 mystique with how her 2023 went
0: yeah i would have gone ariana maddox from vanderpump rules personally because gandival uh can, I, was be, the story.
2: can but- I be honest with you i still don't know the whole angle to that
0: what what is this the in season tournament for you? You don't know how it works. Is, what, yeah, I don't know what, the in season tournament. Like, how many mo- groups?
2: How many groups are with the Scandal, uh, uh story? I'm not sure. This is the I'm most. Not sure.
0: This is the most simple story in the history of mankind. The only thing that made it fascinating was it was it was caught essentially on camera. Tom Sandoval, longtime partner of Ariana on Vanderpump Rules, and, and some conspiracy theorists believe that the show was dying and about to be canceled, and thus. You know, this both uh, gave it life but also had it syndicated in multiple countries. But he cheated uh, on his uh, live-in girlfriend, um, common-law partner, cheated on her with her friend in their house, in their hot tub, serially for six months. It became public when he was performing, because he's in a band, because of course he is, and his phone fell out of his pocket. She picked it up, and something came over her. She was a woman that didn't trust her man to look at it, knows the past, goes in. First thing she sees is a video in his camera roll that was sent of her and the the other woman, uh, Raquel, whose real name is Rachel, uh, performing, let's say, to camera, for him she calls her up she says it's true they break up and now uh the entire friend group is split in terms of uh who they support well guess what the world is not split in who they support so ariana maddox has all types of influencer deals opportunities dancing with the stars uh because uh, people love the fact that you know she left this deadbeat and the other two essentially uh have been in hiding until taping resumed for the next season of the show. That is the story in a nutshell.
2: Thank Well, one, thank you for the, the wrap-up. Two, I, what, what threw me about the story was always, like, people were reacting to this show the way I've seen people react to me about 90 Day Fiancé. And I don't watch 90 Day Fiancé. But, like, people were so wrapped. I didn't realize what, – what, what threw me all the time with this story was I didn't realize that show, Vanderpump Rules, was that big. I didn't get it.
0: But I don't think it was until it was. I think it had a core So audience. you're saying
2: the moment – that moment became a cultural moment. Yes. Not because of the popularity of the show, but because so many people kind of dealt with that garbage in their lives. Yes. And it just exploded.
0: Yes. And, 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 okay. and, and you're filming. Like, imagine if the Tiger Woods, Elon Woods, now, granted, Tiger Woods was massive, but imagine that if that happened and they were filming the entire time of Tiger Woods getting into the Cadillac, driving off, crashing it. Like, imagine all of that was on film. This yeah. essentially was a, a a scandal where you thought this was this beautiful, you know, wholesome cuffball, Find out that that's not the case and we're watching it live and Andy Cohen gets to interview them about it. And so I, I think that's the piece. I, I, I do want to end with you on something that was also trending recently. And i the person who gets nervous when I see someone trending. It's like, did they say something to get them canceled or are they in some sort of precarious scenario? And God forbid, uh, hopefully they didn't die. And thankfully, none of that was true. Uh, Meredith Shaw was trending recently, your new co-host on Breakfast Television. I don't believe we've spoken since. She's taken the role. The viewers love her, clearly, because she was trending. Um, it was birthday recently. But also, uh, you know how many people were out here talking to me about Meredith's must-haves and, and what they want and what they're going to get? And, like <laughs> This is a thing uh, in this holiday season in terms of gift-giving. Uh, so, uh, what's the Meredith must-have that you must have? Uh, what is your go-key advice to our listeners in terms of Gift giving this holiday season, and lastly, uh, I, I don't even want to ask how the transition has been with with your new co host in Meredith because um, it's it's obvious it's been great. So congratulations on uh, charting, uh, you know uh, what for many shows can be you know somewhat tumultuous. I don't know about you, I watched the morning show, not easy. Um, so congratulations on on bringing in a new
2: teammate. She's amazing. By the way, that morning that that morning show show. The Apple show. Worst writing in TV. That ain't, that, ain't, that ain't reality. At least for Canadian morning shows, that ain't reality. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's the case in other American markets, but... No but one's Meredith, asking
0: you to go up in a rocket with Elon Musk for
2: people, BT? They know they know full well I'm not like going higher than one of those Ferris wheels of the X. So they don't even start that with me. I'm not, I'm, I don't do heights. I'm not doing that. But uh, the, the Meredith Must Have, man, she's, she's amazing. Like that, like she wants to do that every month. That takes a lot of work, but it's, it's something that's going to just continue to grow every time she does it. And she's an insanely hard worker and she's amazingly talented. And she's, we're, we're, we are very, very lucky that this happened because without getting into the weeds with people listening, I know Donovan knows this better than anyone here, it, you know, Bell and Rogers are major players in everything. And it's tough to just kind of go from one to the other. It's very difficult. Uh, she took a leap of faith with us and, and BT is a brand, but again, it was, it, it, it was difficult. It's not an easy thing to do. We are insanely fortunate. She did that. Meredith Shaw is a superstar in every way. And she's got contacts across the city. I learn something new every day working alongside her, on and off camera, every day. And we've established she can put up with my garbage. It's a perfect reality. It's i it, am I'm. I'm. We're very lucky she's there, because those Meredith must haves are not. That, that was not easy to put together. No. It's, it's, Never mind the segment where her voice was almost going, and she's going up and down because that's what she does. She's a. She's a master at that. But like the actual like I was in the room while the conversations were going on about the organization of this, and it's it's a lot. Like it's it's a great segment, but it's a lot. But she's got that kind of work it Like it's we're luck, we're very fortunate to have Meredith Shaw on the show.
0: Very. Well, I mean she's getting her Oprah on with the Meredith must haves because it's like you get a mattel toy you get a sleep country mattress you get a sock bar sock you get a jenny bird necklace you get a vr goggles right she's just out here increasing the stock of all of these uh worthy products Um, So definitely uh, when you wake up, wake up with BT, catch Sid, Meredith, the entire crew. Uh, Thank you, Sydney, for uh, staying up maybe a little bit bit later because you're probably in power nap territory right now uh, to break down all of the things that have me wondering and essentially when I bring them to you, leave you upset.
2: But unless I get upset, it's not a good segment until I get upset. So I'm fine with it. Cuz I actually feel good venting and you know I want to vent and it works for both of us. Because I do like there are, there are days I do miss long form this. Like just being able because like BT Breakfast Television is amazing but like we we're lucky we have a ton of commercials. <laughs> but like it does it limits us in terms of our our segments for obvious reasons but Uh, once in a while, just to stretch my legs here with you, Donovan, anytime. Anytime you ask, I'll come on. Love you, man.
0: Well, uh, I I will book some time in the future to get your takes on Sean McDermott's analogies, New York Jets' leaks, and people tracking all of the movements of Shohei Otani. But, But now, go get some rest.
2: I will. I will. Have a good day, man.
0: Thanks so much to both Sid and Kara. Sid's someone who I love to hate and argue with, although we were aligned on most things on this episode. So it was the first time for everything. And Cara, who I love to hear from and love to spend time with. If you want to spend time with them digitally, don't stalk them. If you want to see what they're up to, then go to IG. Because I'm not really sure how many people are using X anymore. Sid is at Sid underscore Sixero, that is E-I-E-I in his last name if you are not as adept to typing it as I am. And Kara's has thrown out the middle name. Love to the middle name. Always. At Cara Elise, K-A-R-A-E-L-I-S-E on IG. That's it for me and show. This has been Going Deep with some friends. Thanks for listening.